Right, we are backing up now. Next week we're kind of going back to a little bit of schedule, which means I have to pay attention to the clock more than I have. So, um, so we have to. I'm going to try to get into practice today. So my schedule up to about a year ago was to end at seven or seven forty, eight uh, or at nine forty. I'll get there eventually. So we're going to try to do that. Um, we're in Revelation chapter 7, and we, we talked about um, this, this uh, prelude, this opening, and we're going to uh, just kind of back up a little bit um, and, and try to take our time as we get through. Uh, chapter 7 is... Um, Got a, it's a lot of material, but it's not got a lot of detail. Uh, uh, that that is really you know, not every detail that is mentioned is is you know some really complex thing. So we should be able to get through it, I think, uh, fairly rapidly. Verse uh, one, beginning, he says, "After these things, I saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth." Holding the four winds of the earth, so that the wind should not blow on the earth, the sea, or any. Uh, tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on our foreheads, and then I, on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed, of the tribe of Judah, 12,000. The tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Of Gad, 12,000. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Of Manasseh, 12,000. Of Simeon, 12,000. Of Levi, 12,000. Of Issachar, 12,000. The tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. And of Benjamin, 12,000. And after these things, I looked and beheld a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces in front of the throne, and they worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessed and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. And one of the elders answered to me and saying, Who are these arrayed in white robes? Where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed, washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are thrown to God and ther- serve him day and night in his temple. They sit on the throne and dwell among them, and they shall neither hunger or thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat, for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to the living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So, um, as I say, we're going to back up just a hair. We've talked uh, about some of this. Um, Not sure if I got disconnected. Glenn, did I get disconnected? I'm not advancing. Okay, you're going to have to do... I don't know if it got minimized or what happened. There we go. 
So we're, we're in this period of interlude. And um, as we said, we have two groups, not one group. When, when we talk about this, um, a lot of people focus on the 144,000. It's a little bit more mystical and it's more interesting for that reason, right? And so, so groups have made, you know, various religions have made a lot of this group of 144,000. Uh, but there is a second group beginning in nine, and so we need to consider them. If this is talking about heaven, uh, then we have two groups in heaven. We don't have 144,000 people in heaven. We have two groups. So um, I want to look really quickly. I'm going to come back here, and we're not going to delve into it, but elsewhere in Revelation, there are some similar pictures. And One is in Revelation chapter 21. I just kind of want to look at that really uh, quickly. Revelation 21, and we're, again, we're not going to go through the details of this. We'll maybe do it a little bit uh, as we get closer towards the end. But um, just so we understand that there, sometimes Revelation gives us a key uh, to some of these pictures. Uh, chapter 21, beginning in verse 12, he says, um, he's, well, he's talking about the city, and he says, She had a great and high wall of twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and the names written on them, which are the angels of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. So we kind of already seen that, right? The twelve tribes uh, referenced back there. There's three on the east, north, on the south, and the west. Now all the, the wall of the city and the twelve foundations were the names of the twelve apostles uh, of the Lamb. Uh, so let we just actually we just stop there. Where have you seen the discussion of the apostles as foundations before? Besides Peter. Okay. What is the reference? Not not the scripture reference, but what what what's the the, the idea? The, the twelve tribes of Israel and the and the twelve apostles. Okay. And then there were the reference to the gates. And okay. So 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 we have that similar picture, and if we go back to a not very symbolic reference, I mean, in terms of prophetic, we the the Bible talks about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles, right? Uh, with Christ being himself the chief cornerstone. So we have here, I think, not... I, I do think it's, it's a picture, something to do with heaven, but I think it's primarily focusing on the church. Um, and and I, so I don't think... I, I think it's an aspect of the church. And so we have two groups here. And so but this one is focusing not just on the apostles, but there's another element, and it's referencing Who? the tribes of Israel. So, so there's a, a group. Now, we talked about kind of a thousand, the way a thousand is used back then. It's, it's not like, well, a thousand stands for this. A thousand was just a, a large number. But, but we see there's, what, what's the contrast between these two numbers? One is 144,000, and what is what? Uncountable. So, so we have two large groups. One is large, but it's limited, right? And, and one is unlimited in, in the sense that it, it's just it's massive by comparison. And I think we're going to 
just kind of gauge an idea. And we know that these two large groups are what? He defines them as we're referring back to these groups that we talked about in, in the fifth seal, the, the martyrs. Right? And so I want to look at um, the sealed martyrs here in these two groups. And the first one is the 144,000. It's undefined, but it is limited. Um, and it has a Hebrew identity, doesn't it? Right? it they're Christians. Right? That's the, the reference to the apostles. Right? Built on the foundation of the apostles is clearly an idea that they are Christians, right? But they are, I believe, Hebrew Christians. And um, when we look at the persecutions, we've talked about how up till Diocletian there's nine, and then, and then we're going to get one more persecution. Really, the, the brunt of the persecution, as far as Jewish Christians were concerned, were in the first three. As, as we come into the second century, right, uh, we're the middle of the second century and on, we're not seeing a lot of Jewish uh, populace in the church. It's, it's more and more and more a Gentile thing as the church spreads out of Palestine. Um, and from uh, 124, in fact, the Jews were kicked out of Palestine. I think it's around 124. The, the Romans kicked them out of, out of Jerusalem. They went to other areas in Palestine. I shouldn't say Palestine, but they were kicked out of Jerusalem. Um, so, so I think the first group is the Jewish Christians who, who died at the beginning. Um, and they died. And we see this picture in here, uh, which is interesting. Uh, who's, what is odd about, can anyone find the odd thing about this list of tribes? So we'll test your Old Testament here. There's an oddity, I mean, probably more than one if you wanted, but there's specifically one oddity in the list here. Who's listed? Yep, so, so from verse 5 through verse 8 in, in chapter 7. You never thought that the, the memorizing all those tribes of Israel would be handy. Right. There's some people mentioned that are not typically mentioned in the list of tribes of Israel. Right off the bat, is there somebody that you're not usually seeing when we... We see Levi. Levi was not included in the list of the 12 patriarchs. Right? When we're talking about the 12 tribes, Levi was never included. He had no inheritance. Right? Um, his inheritance was that he was the tribe of the priests. So that's interesting. He's included. Well, if you're going to say 12, then you've got to take somebody out. So there's somebody that's notably missing in here. Now, it is interesting. We, we typically see Ephraim listed, but instead of Ephraim, we, we, Joseph. Joseph is never listed because his two sons are. So Joseph takes the place of Ephraim, Ephraim being his firstborn. So we're still left with one missing, and that is the tribe of Dan. Dan is gone. Dan is not mentioned in here. Why? 
That seems like an odd one. Was it just random? Like you got to subtract one, so we're just going to randomly pick Dan? Could be. Um, and I, I think there is more an importance than that. Dan, does anybody know a significant thing about Dan? No. Dan is, Dan is probably one of the least significant uh, of, the, of the tribes. And one of the reasons he became the least significant is because they were the first tribe to go into idolatry. They were noted for that. That was their claim to fame. Other than that fact, the only other thing that's significant about them uh, in the scripture is that Samson came from the tribe of Dan. Uh, that's it. Other than that, they're not really important at all. Uh, but they were noted for that. And, and amongst their brothers, they were kind of notorious for that fact. And so I think that's interesting that here we're in a time of paganism and, and, and this whole thing, we've been talking about this earthquake that's going to turn over paganism. And the Jewish Christians are celebrated, I think, for their resistance to paganism, uh, especially at the beginning. Well, now we're going to get to this second group. We're gonna, it's going to get really interesting, I think. Uh, so we come to the innumerable group. Well, by process of elimination, if we are correct, again, we're saying these are ifs. I'm not saying you have to believe this or whatever. If that was Jewish Christians, just by process of elimination, who would be the large group? That would seem to be the indication. Well, do we have anything in here that would confirm that idea? If you, if you have, you know, 12 times 12, yeah. 144, right. that means that those are the tribes of Israel and everyone else has to be Gentiles. Then. Right. right, yeah. So, so right, so uh, we look at verse 9. He says, I saw a great multitude which no one could number of all nations. The word nation is the word Gentile. That's the word. That is what the word is. That's where that comes from. All tribes, peoples, tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And I think there's the idea. Listen, it began as a Jewish thing. But the church is not going to be a Jewish thing eventually. There's, there's going to be Jewish Christians in heaven. I'll be there. <laughs> uh, but there's not, that's not going to be the majority. It, it was predicted in the Old Testament. Right? Isaiah, this is going to start in Jerusalem, yes. But it's going to go all over the world. Uh, Jesus, go into all the world. Preach to every nation. Preach to every Gentile, literally. Right? That's the word. So we have this innumerable group, which we obviously see as Gentile Christians. All these, uh, and I believe at the end, there's some interesting things about this. What are they given? We, talk, we talked about this before, white robes. What's white robes? Okay, we, we talked about victory, and I said we're going to come back to the idea of purity. And I believe where the Jewish Christians resisted paganism. To be a Gentile Christian means you have to go a step beyond. You have to reject it. You have to come out of it. That is a step above and beyond. Because this is what you've been raised in. It's easier 
herb to resist something that you've always been taught is awful and evil, right? But if you've been raised with it, right, to reject what you've been raised with, that's more notable. Now, I don't believe it's just the Gentiles here that are given the... Um, the white robes. I think this is kind of a wrapping up of both of these groups. They're, they're the church and they're in heaven. They're, they're, they've been martyred. And they're singing the new song and, and, and it's like, oh, I don't have to deal with that anymore. How, how awesome is that picture? I mean, it's sad for people here, but it's awesome for them. They don't have to deal with persecution. So... Um, it is, it is the purity that they've had and maintained throughout this period of paganism before this final moment where, where we talked about last week where, where Christ has said, all right, paganism is done. From now on, we're going to call it mythology. Right? The world is going to know that that was just a, a, a silly story. So, uh, I want to look at something. One other note here. Uh, before we proceed to chapter 8. And that is in verse 14. So he's asking, who are these? John is having these visions and he's not sure what this all means. He says, he says, oh, you know. These are the ones that come out of the what? What did they come out of? The Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation is not a future event. It's done happened. I know that we think of... Every generation thinks that it's going to be the worst under their lifespan. You know? Oh! And we can look at society, we can look at things that we're unhappy with. And we go, oh! This is this must be at the sign of the times or whatever you know and and and, uh, and and this is the great tribulation because we've been programmed for only about the last hundred or so years that this is all future or that was not accepted for the majority of church history but um, the great tribulation has happened we think this is our life is so horrible. But you can't imagine. If you want to see a great tribulation, this is the face right here of a great, great tribulation. We can't imagine somebody tying two trees, bending them over, tying them together, and, and tying your arms and legs to them, and then cutting the cords that hold two trees. Think of that. We're never going to experience that. Ever. We might experience inconvenient things. And the list goes on and on of cruel and inhuman ways to torture people for what they believe in. And that gets us to chapter 8. And we're not going to get really that far into it. When he opened the seventh seal, 
There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour, and I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before, the, uh, before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And if we get lucky, we'll get through the first trumpet. So we'll just hold off on that for a second. What is the first thing? We're going to want to go through the pictures of this. We talked about an interlude. Now we have a prelude, sort of. And you will notice this several times, that this, when we have a series of seven things, the last thing won't be a thing by itself. It'll just be kind of a, 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 a segue to something else, a new series of things. It's kind of interesting how it, it's all kind of the cyclical thing that's going on. What is the first thing you notice? What is the first thing? Silence. Why silence? There's a calm before a storm. Okay, so we can have the calm before the storm. Okay, I think we're looking forwards and backwards. And so, I think we have first the honor of the martyrs and then the calm before the storm. He's reading my notes. Um, I, I, we were in Warsaw in 2010. And probably you're like, so what? Uh, we were there for Easter in 2010. And, and if you remember history at all, that was the week where that, that Polish flight crashed in Russia, uh, killing their president, killing 96 people. We were in Warsaw for that, and, and the next day they flew back the president's body. He was like the first one identified, and and the day we left, I think it was his wife's body. We were there. We, we saw like the processions going by, and we had gotten out of church, uh, and and it was that Sunday we got out of church and we're like, oh, we're going to go downtown, and um, and I didn't know really anything other than just you know the news. I, I wasn't expecting anything was going to happen, but. <clears throat> There's a there's a weird outdoor sort of an escalator. I mean, it's got it's like in a building and it just connects two parts of the town that are like this. So you go into the thing and you come out up on a different part of town. And we mu it must have just randomly been at noon that we were about ready to go in, and and we popped out. We went in and everything was happening, you know, and and life was. We got off the bus and went, and when we came out. So it was just, you know, just a, a minute or whatever. Nothing was moving. People weren't moving. Buses weren't moving. Cars weren't moving. It was, like, it was like someone hit the pause button while we were going up the escalator. And we came out, and it was just bells ringing for five minutes. And nobody moved. You, you just, like, you froze in honor of, of these people. And uh, it was eerie. It was eerie. Uh, and, and they had a huge vigil. And my wife and family and I got separated. We kind of got sh shunted around in by this vigil. And, you know, we've got like little infants and stuff. I'm like, ah! It was, it was almost scary, you know. But, but this is the remembrance. 
What happened with the first... Who's the first martyr that we know of? Stephen. What happened with Stephen? What does Stephen see? He sees Jesus get up. He stands. So like, like an honor. Like, like Jesus commemorates these events with honor. Like that was notable to God. The, you are the first martyr. You are the first one. I don't know if he does that with everyone, but it's interesting that, that he begins the period of martyrdom with a standing ovation by Jesus. And, and he closes it with this period of silence. But also for foreboding. There's also something else coming. Right, the, so we wrap up the picture of the white robes, the honor. Everything is around this, this picture of honor, but there's more. We see earthquakes. Well, we've seen earthquakes before, haven't we? What are earthquakes? Hmm? Some major uh, change, something political, some world thing. We saw it shift where, where there's a great move away from paganism. Okay, that's happened. We're past that. We're in the next series of history now. That's past. There's something else coming. Uh, and, and, uh, and we have lightning and thunder. What's lightning and thunder? My hearing's not so good as it used to be. Storm. Storm. Okay, with the sixth seal, we're, we left something at the sixth seal. Some sort of thing that was postponed. What was postponed? Four, four destructions, four winds. This coming storm has been paused. It's going to be unpaused. And we're going to see that, right? The four winds and we see the first four trumpets are, are kind of isolated. We're going to, the fifth and sixth are separate, much like with the, with the things that, that we saw in the first seals, right? And then we'll have the transitions. Four, two, one. It's kind of interesting how it all, all works. So we have lightning and thunder, which is destruction, and the four winds that are waiting. We have trumpets. What's a trumpet? Oh. You read the Old Testament, a trumpet is almost never used for praise or anything else. It was a special instrument. Now you'll read the Psalms and they'll talk about uh, praise them on the timbrels and the flutes and the this and the that. There are only two times in the Old Testament where it was used as any part of worship. And it might not have been a part of worship even then. It was when David brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And, uh, and then when Solomon took the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle and into the permanent temple he built. That's it that I could find. Maybe I missed one. But other than that, it's always war. Specifically, or defense, or a battle of some sort, marching around Jericho, right? Some something to do with war. Well, we've got four winds. 
We've got an instrument of war, an announcement by God. We're going to war up against something. We have incense, don't we? Why the incense? Hasn't persecution ended? Right? Isn't what, what's with the prayers of the saints? Why why did the why are we having more prayers of the saints? Because God ended persecution. He ended a particular type of persecution. He ended the Great Tribulation. He ended the, the punishment for daring to believe in God. We, we mentioned this as, as this closes and we get into Constantine, and it, it wasn't right at, at, at the beginning. But Constantine, towards the end of his life, starts feeling, you know, I'm, I'm something special. And the emperors who are now going to be, with the exception of one of them, some version of Christian, right? some, some version of, I kind of believe in God, they start thinking that because they're an emperor and they believe in God, they get to determine things for the church. You believe this. We believe this. They'll hold councils, like the Nicene Council in 325 under Constantine, and they'll go through so many. They'll go through so many Ephesus and here and there and the other place, and they hold these councils everywhere. The majority of emperors, not all of them, but almost the majority of them belonged to a group called the Arians. Arians held the belief that would be very similar to a Jehovah's Witness in terms of how they identify God. God the Father made Jesus Christ. He's a lesser sort of, and um, because he couldn't be co-equal, because then you would have co-equal gods. That was their logic. We can't believe in polytheism because we've conquered polytheism, right? Paganism is done. We're different. And so their logic said, no, Jesus is lesser. And this was a big argument. That's the one of the subjects of the Nicene Council, the first council. Well, they start persecuting one another. And we have Catholics killing Arians, and we have Arians killing Catholics, and we and it's like we just ended this. We just finished. God just got the victory, and now all of a sudden there's there's this pouring down of of prayers. God says, I'm, I'm about to listen to the prayers and I'm about to take all these burning embers and I'm about to throw them on the earth. And we're going to war. Um, and we should note that it was primarily the Arians. We should note that. The, the, though they were in the minority, they were the, it was the belief of the emperors both in Rome and in Constantinople, because it's Constantinople now. God goes to war, and we're going to get to the fall of Rome. And that's what these trumpets are. They're the fall of Rome. We get to one. <clears throat> and, that, and I say that as I understand it. The first trumpet. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire 
followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. So when you think of fire and hail, what do you think of? The, uh, the plague. Okay, you think of plagues. What did those plagues destroy? Crops. Okay. Right, so, so we think of kind of destruction on land, right? Um, we, we think of destruction of landscape, you know, crops, and, and various things like that. And, and so we're going to see an interesting fulfillment. Uh, so we need to talk about a group of people. Uh, these are the Goths. No, not those Goths. Um, this is how the Roman Empire uh, looked at the point with, with Africa chopped off just so that we can magnify it. Uh, you notice that Germany doesn't have a far border because they didn't know anything beyond there. right? They didn't venture up to Russia and all that. So this, this is kind of just the way that they viewed the world. And um, it's interesting. Um, there's a... Uh, who these Goths are. And the Goths, there's a couple of them, they come, uh, they were eventually were known as the Ostrogoths and the Visigoths. Ostra is east, Visa is west. Anybody know? Anybody got good geography? What country they come from? All right, our Europe is horrible. My Europe is horrible. Um, but this region is still a province called Gotland. And it is in Sweden. So these are what Goths look like. <laughs> you want to blow a you want to blow a Goth you want to blow some Goths mind say this is what a Goth looked like, right? Um, so <clears throat> just a joke. So we're gonna talk about the West Goths. Uh, <clears throat> they were known for blonde hair. Um, long blonde hair. And uh it's kind of funny. But we, we come to a guy by the name of Alaric. And Alaric became the king of the Visigoths, specifically, uh, in 395. Doesn't, he doesn't reign for a long period of time. Um, and uh, he tries to attack Italy, like around uh, 402, didn't have a whole lot of success. So he backed up, regrouped, and um, he attacks... Uh, Greece. Now I, I will read just a couple of things here uh, as we as we close here um, in a few minutes. But he turns south, and this is kind of a, uh, he, in 406. He's like, okay, we're going to do this again. And so he starts conquesting uh, towards Rome. Um, he goes down to Athens and Greece and various things. So, uh, let me let me read. Uh, I think there's one here that describes his, his um, just a brief description uh, of, of this particular period and see if this sounds interesting to you based on, on what... And, and again, remember, this is an atheist writing history. Um, and, and, and he again and again and again writes things that the Bible seems to have just said. It says, The fertile fields of focus in... Boeotia, I don't know where these lands are, but they're in this path going down towards Greece, were instantly covered by a deluge of barbarians. By the way, barbarians, does anybody know what the word barbarian means? Bearded? Nope. 
barbar. That's, that's a Roman insult for anybody who wasn't Roman. Because that's what their, anybody else's language. They didn't have alphabets, right? All these in Britain and all these other places, they didn't have alphabets. So whenever they encountered somebody from Germany or Gaul, which was France and whatever, that it sounded to them like bar, 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 bar. <laughs> so you were barbarians. Right? That's what it means. Right? It meant you're, you're, you're not cultured and your language is offensive to our ears. Well, if you've ever been to Germany, you would understand, right? It's like, I go there and I'm like, it sounds like, right? that, that's what it sounds like to me. And that's what, that's what the way they looked at it. So anyway, so uh, they were instantly covered by a deluge of barbarians who massacred the males, and we get the blood, uh, of any age to bear arms and drove away the beautiful females along with their spoils of cattle, livestock, and of the flaming villages. Very interesting. The travelers who visited Greece several years later could easily discover the deep and bloody traces of the march of the Goths. I mean, years later, people could visit and say the Goths were here by the destruction that they left in their path, and specifically on the land. I think that's kind of interesting that just in one verse and in one quote, it just they marry perfectly. So, so he gets in 408 to Rome. Rome bribes him. Now, this is in 408. We have to understand this was a shock to Rome. It's been 600 years since an enemy has been in Rome, and that was Hannibal from Egypt, Carthage. They've not seen an enemy camped around Rome. They bribe him to leave. Then somewhere they decide, he's kind of going back, they decide not to pay him. He says, say what? <laughs> and so he comes back. This time, he takes a, a place called Ossetia. Ossetia is the mouth of, uh, what is it, the Thebes River? Whatever. It's right, it's the one, the river that goes by Rome or in Rome, and, and it goes out to the uh, southwest. And that's the port where they get all of their crops from, from, from Africa. I know you think of Africa not as a place of crops, but back then it was. And it was the, it was the breadbasket for the Roman Empire. Uh, Egypt and, and Carthage was, was what fed the Roman Empire. And they take that port city and then they surround it again. And someone lets them in to the back door. Someone betrays Rome and they come in. And in 410, they sack Rome. They went through it in six days and picked it clean. Um, they burnt a lot of things. They, they, interestingly enough, they left a lot of culture. For uncultured people, Alaric left a lot of culture. He's religious. He was Christian, but Aryan. Um, and, uh, but this is the first of four that will happen. And uh, God says, we're going to war against Rome, against these em emperors who have done this uh, to my people. Now, it doesn't mean that, that they didn't suffer, that, that Christians didn't suffer. They did. Uh, we're not guaranteed personal protection when, when God goes to war. <laughs> Sometimes there's collateral damage. And there was collateral damage. Um, it is interesting that, that Alaric did say, don't 
touch the church buildings. Um, now, it wasn't always honored, um, but, um, but we have this first interesting thing. There's another quote, uh, and it, it comes on the heels kind of along with that idea, and that is um, that there's been... Uh, it's kind of a strange thing, uh, but they were his his army was in the in the process of stealing a bunch of stuff from a church build, building, and 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 one of the they didn't call them nuns yet, but but what was essentially a nun comes and says, well, you know that that was Saint Peter's plate, <laughs> it was like a gold plate belonging to Saint Peter. It's like if you want to have it on your conscience, you can, but I mean I can't defend you, so. You can take it, but you're going to have to live with yourself. He goes, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't, you know, because he's religious and superstitious. So he has his whole army march in a procession, holding all the things that they were going to steal from these church buildings and, and take it to St. Peter's Cathedral, singing songs. Right? <laughs> it's kind of weird. And, and all these people are, are coming out and joining this, this procession. I don't want to read the whole thing, because it's, it's a couple of pages. Um, so I just kind of read... Uh, a little bit, because he, he talks about Augustine, writing who writes about this event. Um, <clears throat> he says, The learned work called The City of God, which was composed by St. Augustine, which is about Rome and the destruction of Rome, he justified, in that book, he justified the ways of providence in the destruction of the Roman greatness. He celebrates, remember this is an atheist talking, he celebrates with peculiar satisfaction this memorable triumph of Christ. And he insults his adversaries by challenging them to produce some similar example of a town which was taken by storm in which the fabulous gods of antiquity had been able to protect either themselves or their deluded votaries. That means like followers. So in other words, Augustine thought that this destruction was so notable, having viewed, Augustine was there for the fall of, of Rome. It was such an event that he saw it as a confirmation of God's divine intervention in this evil city. And I think that's kind of the, the thing that we see. And so I want to wrap up just with one application. I didn't hit my time. We're a minute over here. At the end of Revelation, there's this statement. So second to the last verse. It says, He who testifies of these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And I like that word, even so. It's a loaded phrase. Imagine John, being John, and, and hearing the list of things that's going to happen. We've just gone through all of those bowls, or not bowls, the, the, the seals, and now we're starting into the trumpets of war, and all this thing. And he says, you've got to get through this to get to this. Are you okay with that? Even so. Even so. Come. Even, so, if, even if I have to get through this that I don't like, even so, Come. Don't, don't stop your plan of coming just because I, I would maybe feel better. We kind of, I think, we don't live in a great tribulation. I said that. We're not going to. We might not live in a pleasant time. It might not be fun for the church over the next decade or two or whatever. I don't know. 
But can I say, even so, come. Even if, even if it's not going to be the greatest thing to get through. Even so, bring it. Because that means I get to the other side. And there's a white robe. And I might not earn it by dying, but I'll get it somehow in some way. <laughs> I'm going to get a white robe. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to have my tears wiped away. And all those things, all those things are gone. Even so, even if I don't like it today, or tomorrow, even so. Well, we're dismissed.